Welcome to Drink Beer, Think Beer, the podcast that gets the bottom of every pint. I'm John Hall. What's it like being an organic brewery in 2023? Harder than you might think, but it's getting a little better. My guest is Sandy Bosfebo of Minnesota's Bang Brewery, and she'll explain more. We're going to get into the show in just a moment, but first, Caleb Schwecki of Yakima Valley Hops is here. The company is a sponsor of this episode, and we're thankful for that. And we're talking about liquid hop products. Caleb, first of all, welcome. And as I've been in and out of brew houses over the last few years, I've been seeing quite a few of these products, um, Flex, Incognito, Spectrum. Uh, can you give us an overview of what these are exactly and what they can bring to a beer? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, glad to be here, John. Thanks for having us. And yeah, so Flex, Incognito, and Spectrum, they're a family of liquid hop products. So they're 100% hop derived. It's all the best parts about uh, the hops, you know, the oils, the alphas, the aromas, the flavors. It's all the good stuff uh, without any of that vegetative matter. So really focusing on efficiency and consistency. And where do they fit into the beer process to the brewing process? Well, each one is kind of tailored to a different step in the brewing process. So flex is purely a bittering hop addition. Then we go to the whirlpool with incognito and then dry hopping is with a uh, spectrum. So that's, that's the dry hopping alternative. That's awesome. When, when does it make sense for brewers to start to think about using products like these? Well, right now in the brewing industry, it's all about efficiency and just trying to find where you're losing the most beer or, you know, throughout your process. So if you're using big bittering additions, then it might make, might make sense to look at flex to replace some of that. Or if you're, you know, throwing two to six pounds of hops in the whirlpool, like some people are, then you might want to, you know, look to sub in a little bit of incognito there. Or again, if you're just doing these big dry hopping charges, then spectrum, you know, and it's not all about completely replacing the the pellets and the plant matter. It's about minimizing where you can to, to really maximize those efficiencies. That's awesome. Well, you're going to be back with me at the bottom of the show to talk more about liquid hop products like we've been discussing. And in the meantime, I'm going to encourage everyone to go visit yakimavalleyhops.com. There you can learn more about these products and everything else that the company has to offer. And again, my thanks to Yakima Valley Hops for supporting All About Beer. Please visit allaboutbeer.com for original articles, reviews, news, insights, and podcasts. You can listen to shows like Beer Travelers, Brewer to Brewer, and the All About Beer podcast simply by searching All About Beer wherever you listen to shows. This show and all of the work we do, it's supported by you. You can go visit patreon.com slash allaboutbeer to help keep the content fresh. And a few bucks goes a long way to fund writers, photographers, creators, and editors. And if you'd like to learn more about advertising on this show or any of our shows, please email info at allaboutbeer.com. I love hearing about new breweries that are not trying to be everything to everyone. The ones that were founded with a sense of purpose and continue to stick with it. Headed into the Craft Brewers Conference in 2022 in Minneapolis, I heard about Bang Brewing just over the river in St. Paul, an all-organic brewery with a low profile, robust local following, and a strong sense of identity. Sandy Bosfebo is the co-owner and co-brewer of Bang Brewing with her husband, Jay. 
The brewery opened in 2013 after the pair spent a fair amount of time homebrewing and honing recipes. A decade later, the brewery is still committed to the original plan to produce lagers and ales with only sustainably farmed all organic ingredients. The brewery is located in a custom-built prefab grain bin that also houses the taproom. The grounds feature rain gardens, a prairie beer garden, and is dotted with the unwavering focus on environmental responsibility and sustainability. Sandy and Jay are founders of the Organic Brewers Alliance, members of the NRDC's Brewers for Clean Water campaign, partner members of the Artisan Grain Collaborative, and Patagonia Provisions Partner Brewer. And we're going to get into all of that and more. Here's our conversation. What was the original idea for bang and how does that square with where you all are now uh firmly unchanged actually which is amazing that is amazing yeah the the idea really came about from a love of brewing and wanting to do something for ourselves and in a way that made sense to us and we, we first started small batch brewing in the mid 90s and then really in earnest around 2005 when we had the opportunity to remodel our kitchen to brew. <laughs> you <laughs> built in a home uh, brewing concept to a kitchen remodel? Yeah, we did. <laughs> it was epic. And I mean, just I don't want to get too sidetracked because I want to talk about the pro side of things, but I, I want to hear a little bit more about doing a kitchen remodel with homebrewing in mind. Yeah, well, we live in Minnesota and we didn't want to be garage brewers because we have a, we have a lot of winters. Fine and, in June, but yeah, it's. And also it's just. We come to beer from the culinary side, the ingredient side. It makes sense that it happened in the kitchen. And remodeling our kitchen to cook, and doing beer as part of that was a no-brainer. So we just set up a really clever system where we have uh, filtered water leading to a pot filler so that we can just use really beautiful St. Paul water and go right onto our brew kettle on our stove, which, you know, we got the best BTUs we could to make that happen. We did a gravity feed. So we have a really cheeky uh, collar and a clean in place hose under the, what would be the sink that we can just roll out and do a sandy run and then hit it to the brew kettle when we're ready to knock out. And then we have a chiller mounted to the basement ceiling and then a stainless suite down there and our fermenter down there. So that it was just a really sweet feed. That's awesome. That yeah. is. Yeah. <laughs> I, I imagine that there's a lot of homebrew envy that you've encountered over the years after just briefly explaining that. It, just, it was a great system. <laughs> Super sweet setup for sure. Um, in over 10 years. Yeah. I, I like that in, in thinking about beers in a culinary sense. And I wonder about the beers that you were making back then with that in mind um, yeah. and how it sort of informed the beers that you're making today. If you could sort of you know, give me some examples of. Absolutely. Yeah. 
you can dial that back to beer. You know, while we did experiment to some degree with different recipes, our primary focus, I think, really holds true today. And we were doing a smash that we brewed on repeat and changed one thing each time to really delineate and understand the nuance that that change would bring. So we used, you know, often the same yeast strain, the same hops, the same malt. And part of that too was driven by the fact that our ingredient options are far more limited in the realm of organic than they are for a conventional brewer. Like we, the analogy that we say all the time is that our cran box is smaller and it's a, a constraint that we welcome. I think working within limitations makes, can make you better. It's a really cool process to go through and to see what those little elemental changes would bring to the beer. And it became a beer that we absolutely loved. We called it neat because it's, you know, one malt, one hot water and yeast. It's like yeah. the simplest you can go, right? So it is uh, a beautiful, clean beer. It's one that we brew yearly now for our anniversary. We refer to it as a sparkling bitter. Okay. Uh, that came about from the hop that we were using when we first started brewing it, and that was Summit, which is a bear of a hop to use. It can go south on you really quickly. Yeah. If you... If you use it in a manner that brings forward that grapefruit pith in the bitterness, it's just so clean and great. It was like, can we make an ale drink like a Pilsner? <laughs> and that's what, that's what we were That's after. what you were looking for. And yeah. <laughs> How quickly did you embrace the idea of wanting to use just organic ingredients? You know, it's all we've ever dedicate, done. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's how we cook, it's how we garden, it's how we feed our dogs. It's just kind of ingrained at this point. And it wasn't even a question when it came to beer that that is the, the track we would follow for sourcing our ingredients. And it's a certain challenge, to be sure. It's yeah, gotten yeah. quite a bit easier year over year, but still the amount of time that we dedicate to sourcing ingredients is kind of nuts. You've been open professionally 10 years now. And I, I think back to brewers that came before you that were dedicated organic um, or so that they were and um, how most of them have gone by the wayside. Um, I think because of those challenges um, that that exists, at least in the conversations that I've had with with some of those brewers. Um, what what have been the challenges, and then how is it getting easier? Well, for us, I think the biggest challenge was the desire to get our ingredients as locally as possible, and with the options for organics in Minnesota, that was a huge. A huge deal. The industrialization of beer really kind of broke some things. And, and being in a position where we were looking to large maltsters for our ingredients, we are you know grateful for the opportunity that Greece 
you know, in Wisconsin has always had a really nice line of organics. It's somewhat limited, but it's available. And it's what we were using in the 90s and then, you know, throughout our small batch days. And we do still use them today. Our desire to work with Minnesota farmers has taken us literally, I think the first beer that we were able to release with all Minnesota ingredients happened March of 2020. Wow. So a good seven years of being open before. Yeah. yeah. Seven years. And the, the biggest challenge really in, in bringing back the regional scale is not only establishing the network between brewers and the small farmers that are growing malt quality barley and grains, is the mid producers scaled at a point that can bring that to market for us. And it's, it's led to a couple uh, really amazing relationships. We partner very closely with the University of Minnesota. We have been talking for a number of years about our desire to establish an organic brewers alliance and wanting to do that because we recognize that we are specifically stubborn in this pursuit. <laughs> but not every brewer is going to have the bandwidth to chase ingredients the way that we're determined to do. And if we could just share the resources and, and build a, a site that would make it much more plug and play, not only for the farmers, but for the brewers and the mid producers to find each other, to talk about what they're looking for, to make it happen. Uh, and the University of Minnesota during the pandemic, they raised their hand and said, let's work on this with you. We have uh, PhD students and master's students and undergrad students who can't do field work right now. And so we have time. So let us put our minds to this. And we got in a really good place with it, and, but it took some time. There's a lot of information to aggregate. And it's now on pause because it needs to be funded. It really needs someone to, to, sh to hold it and run it. But I'm very optimistic that we'll see that happen. There's another organization that we've uh, been partner members of since 2019, and that's the Artisan Grain Collaborative. Okay. And I'm, I, I, I'm not aware of them. Oh, they are phenomenal so and they are they are our people like it's so incredible how this comes to be it was it started as a group of chefs bakers and millers in the chicago area that were working in organics and year over year anytime they had an opportunity to attend a conference that focused on organics and sustainability the focus of those events always tends to lean towards produce. And it makes sense. You know, you think about how you eat with your eyes first, right? You drink with your eyes first. People really connect with what's on their plate. Mm -hmm. and, and the story of organic is compelling in that regard. To talk about it in beer and what's in your glass is kind of next level organic. They felt the same with small grains and the, the breads and the other products that they were working with. And yet the disconnect is that there is so much more acreage in this country planted in small grains than in produce. We just kind of recognize an opportunity to come together and figure out how can we make, how can we elevate this idea and really get people to think about it and connect with each other. And 
in so doing, they determined it would be really beneficial to reach across to the Twin Cities market and beyond and really establish a regional grain shed network. And at that same time, they reached out to us and said, we know how you operate. You guys are you know, dedicated organic. You also use small grains. Want to come to this conversation? And I just jumped at the chance and went to a really great conference that was at the Minnesota Landscape Arboretum. And the room was just so impressive. The people that are making these things happen, you know, bringing it back together are just so motivated and so inspiring. And to see it transpire is just so cool. So it now includes brewers and distillers and mid-producers and has evolved to a point of really thoughtful working groups, people coming together to have really robust conversations regarding you know, if you have a farmer that's going to move forward with trying to grow malt grade barley and maybe it falls short of spec, you know, what kind of secondary markets can we build in so that we're minimizing the risk for them? And it's just all these conversations that are happening around it are incredible. And it just, I to sit here now, I can say with all honesty, I've never been more optimistic about where it's headed. Has the, sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say things are happening. It's really cool. Is it easier to have these conversations now than 10 years ago? I I, I feel like the general public sometimes, and and I count myself in this, has sort of an idea of what organics can be. Mm -hmm. Um, And then, you know, we only kind of know it past a a very small bit of knowledge. Um, But it, it, it strikes me that there are more, resources out there there's better education out there there's more thoughtful conversation is that is that fair to say i do i you know i think it's just kind of long long game right these conversations have been happening but they're just it's kind of the snowball effect it's getting more robust things are building networks are being established it's coming to fruition which is really inspiring How has the conversation evolved beer-wise? Um, not quite as much as I would like. <laughs> Although, you know, we have an opportunity and the way that Jay and I have come to this is that change happens by individual actions, right? It's, and, and it's one thing at a time, one person at a time, one beer at a time. We say that over and over. And the best point for us is when people come into our tap room. You know, this is coming from a brewery who did not have a website for our first five years. We had a word. Was that, was that on purpose or just like on a to-do list that? Uh... No, it was very intentional. We are minimalist through and through. And the in-person exchange and that build of community is nothing that I think you can script or force. I think it needs to happen. And by doing a WordPress, you know, we simply had our, our location and our hours and, and that was it. Like the rest of it will happen when people come to experience the place. They'll understand and see what we're about and then it'll just go from there. And so most of it has literally been organic growth to have people come into the tap room, especially at first when we opened with one beer. And we did so at a time when people were opening with like the full rainbow, right? Like something, yeah. something for everyone. And we thought, 
this is the beer that we love. There are breweries that we respect and hold in such high regard that produce one beer and no one would ever go there and expect to get all the other things. They go because there's one thing that they produce and they produce it better than anyone else. And so we just thought it would be a really intentional way of slowing things down. You know, we didn't have a menu, we had one beer and it was great. And the people that we met in those days that found us early, because literally I think at the time, the only social channel that we used was Twitter. And we just did a tweet that said, it's beer. And the number of people that saw that and came through and told people, and then just that build was really incredible. And to have people come in and share that beer and share the space, you know, now 10 years later, we've been, you know, still partnering with the University of Minnesota. We have been working with the Land Institute. We've started working with Kernza in 2017. Yeah. I want to talk about Kearns in a minute, but yeah. A year later, we we did an event at the Minnesota State Fair, which is epic if you've not heard. And we were just there representing, uh, along with the University of Minnesota, some of the Forever Green Initiative uh, crops, all the living continuous living cover work that they're doing. And there, there was this, you know, 18 foot long banner on the wall showing a one-to-one photo of an excavated stand of Kernza next to an excavated stand of annual wheat, just to show the comparison of the root structure between these two. And when the state fair wrapped, I said, what are you doing with that? They're like, well, I don't know. And I'm like, cause I have, a. it was made to go into our brewery. <laughs> it, we have a wall for that. Let's do it. And it's never left. And it is just, when you talk about, you know, that interaction, seeing something in person, when we get to point to that and then have a conversation, when everyone who doesn't know what Kernza is when they walk through our door, the first thing they think is hops. And that's a reflection on the beer industry. Yeah. <laughs> what new hop is that? It's like, not a hop. <laughs> it's a really impressive perennial crop. But it's just those, those transactions, those moments are the ones that resonate and stick with people. So that conversation around beer is building, you know, it's where, where we are today is because of all of those. How many beers do you have on tap right now? So we have seven beers on tap right now. And that is as wide as our list goes at any given time. We have a a beer or two that we try to produce, uh, and keep going for a couple long standing uh, tap accounts that we know and love. And so those will pop in. So periodically like our cold room, which we like to refer to as the world's supply of bang, which is tiny. Uh, we'll hold more than seven styles, but it's because of those accounts that we're trying to keep supplied. Gotcha. Um Sorry, I just didn't want to let that go with the first uh, uh, opening day um, and where you all are now. Um, but I think you're right that 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 people will say, "I haven't seen this this uh, 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 banner on your wall," um, but I've slowly been learning about Kernza um, as of late. Um, but I don't think that a lot of people know what it is. So, right. what is it? 
So Carnza is, it's an intermediate wheatgrass that has been in development for over 20 years. As, as I understand, it's started as a PhD project. Lee DeHaan was working at the University of Minnesota and then uh, moved on to the Land Institute and it has become, you know, his life's work. And the team surrounding it is incredible. It's uh, a, a grain that really, when we started working with it in 2017, was still in its experimental stages. There was a restaurant in Minneapolis that had been doing some experimenting with it in crackers and breads and pastas and just trying to figure out what its best uh, utilization would be and, and really you know, what the flavor profile was and where we could go with this. And we came to it because the chef there, as we were delivering a keg, at, you know, I think January of 17, asked if we would be interested in brewing a, a beer with it. And I had read about Patagonia Provisions and Hopworks releasing their beer and was really intrigued by this grain. And then, you know, months later to have an opportunity to work with it, really, you know, that unique opportunities because we're kind of in one of the epicenters of the people working on it. So Minnesota currently has more acres planted in Kernza than any other state. And it's by virtue of kind of how the ripple effect is happening and it grows nicely here. Yeah. It, it's a, a grain that they can uh, not only, or a crop that they can get a really nice grain harvest from, but they can also get forage harvest. Oh, it's, it's perennial. So they're, you know, still dialing in the optimal years. Like if you're growing it because you want grain, then I think years three and four are the best yields. So, it, you know, maybe it gets replanted, but if it's for forage, you know, you can, can, just let it ride. They're also doing some really cool wellhead protection plantings with it, which is a whole other topic. But, you know, it's just what this crop is able to deliver is kind of mind blowing. More with Sandy Bosfebo in a moment. But first, this message. Looking for an easy hop sourcing experience? Yakima Valley Hops offers the finest quality hops from right here in our valley and premium growing regions around the world. Get the hops you need when you need them with ultra-fast shipping and awesome customer service. With a full line of liquid hop products and all your favorite varieties, no contracts are needed to brew with the best. Shop now at yakimavalleyhops.com. That's Y-A-K-I-M-A, valleyhops.com. And now, back to our conversation. So, what have you found? So, after after you're talking to that chef and you said, you know, do you want to you want to make a beer with this. Um, what was the first beer that yes. you made? The first beer that was released um, by Patagonia and Hopworks was uh, a hoppy pale. And that, you know, hops sell and having 15% Kernza in the grain bill and it was a beautiful beer was great, but it, we couldn't really nuance specifically what Kernza was bringing to the party and had a conversation with Christian and his team about working with the grain. And from there went, okay, well, we're going to stick with 15% too and see what we can do. So essentially we went back to the recipe for neat 
and just went, this is the thing we're going to change, except we're going to pull back the hops. We really want the grain to shine. So we subbed out 15% of the malt bill for Kernza and then went really gentle with the hops on it and called it a Kernza Blonde Ale. And there again, since the the grain that we were getting was still, uh, it was coming to, it was so amazing. It was coming to us from the University of Minnesota agronomists. You know, we had PhDs delivering this, you know, sacks of grain that had been cleaned with much labor and love and dehulled so that we could uh, try and crank it down in our roller mill and get a slight crush on it when we used it. We would get it from the Land Institute. You know, it was coming to us from different places, all grown uh, and managed organically, but not yet certified because of its experimental status. It it could not yet be certified. I think that first crop came through in 2018. Okay. 2019. And what we came to to see as we began brewing that on repeat was. And before I get to that, I need to relay the tasting notes on that first batch. Yeah. We had the opportunity to time the first brew. So we do everything on a 10 barrel and we go straight into production. We don't have a pilot. So we were using that recipe that we know very well and grain malt that we know very well and brought it through. And everyone that came to this tasting, which beautifully timed with the land Institute's annual meeting. So the currents of conference as it were sure. was in July of 17. And so all the researchers and agronomists and representatives who have been really tight to this, um, this study were here and tried it. And it, for like really the first time and beer got to, to taste the profile. There's a nuttiness, kind of a thin layer of spice that comes through and it, and it showed, and it was like, we don't need, we don't need to hide this. I mean, it's really cool to have it and know what this grain is accomplishing, but it's bringing something to beer that is really special. And so we just continued brewing that beer, that recipe, but with Kernza from different plots. And what we discovered was it really varied batch to batch based on where it came from. So, so it's those- not unlike hop selection. Exactly. And, and it's not unlike what people describe as terroir in, in wine. There's, I think, a sense of place that really comes from it that can be really intriguing, especially when, you know, it's the culinary side that drives you. Like some variation will make some brewers crazy because they want consistency. But for us, in a, in a moment like that, it's really something kind of to celebrate. Yeah. So... From there, from that first one, and 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 people are started starting to taste it now that you've had different lots um, as well. Uh, how have you all evolved in your use of Kernza in the beer? Yeah, it's gone through some various stages for sure. So when we were first working with it and getting it, uh, we were just making there was no market price for it. It was an experimental crop and coming from research fields, so wasn't like it was available to purchase. So we were just making donations to the Land Institute kind of in support of the work that they were doing. And then as it came to commercialization, it's so labor intensive as far as, you know, really getting to a point where there's mid producer to to work with this very small kernel 
they are literally kind of reinventing the wheel on this equipment to consult with small uh, seed cleaners to figure this out. It, it, it's completely different than barley or wheat, like those screens, those tables, none, none of that works. So they're getting it dialed in, but at the point of doing so, you know, the cost of it just kind of jumps. So it was $7 a pound um, for certified organic Kernza, which yeah, right? Yeah. So we are accustomed to paying more for our ingredients. And, you know, we manage the scale of our business so that we can really push the margins so that our beer, our end product for the consumer is not higher. It's really important to us to keep organics in reach and not as some, you know, niche thing held off. And when it hit $7 a pound, we looked at each other and went, we can't do 15% in a beer and keep this in, in line. So yeah. we started uh, what we refer to as a series called perennial percent. And the idea was really just modeling recipe development for larger regional macro brewers that if they even incorporated 1% Kernza in any one of their brands would do just a massive amount to support this incredible grain. And we kept it there for a while. So we have a number of beers that we transitioned, you know, that we had already been brewing and just went, okay, we're going to start talking 1% in these and really talk about how this could roll out and how support could come to the table for it. And as it goes, you know, the price is starting to come down as, as it will, as the supply increases and demand increases. And so we're stepping our percentage back up again. We'll be brewing a Kernza IPA tomorrow and that will have, thirteen uh, percent Kernza in the grain bill, and it's nice to be able to work at that level again. The the beer that we produced uh, as part of the Patagonia Provisions project is fifteen percent, and actually, to be able to get to a point where we can start going above fifteen and make it work within our margins for our consumer, then that's going to be a lot of fun. Does one percent i guess it, it would depend on the beer itself but um is it enough to get some of the characteristics of the grain through i don't think so no. okay it's really just the idea of you know maybe helping a large macro meet some of their sustainability goals to to know what one percent of one of their massive runs would be compared to you know one percent in a and in 10 barrel, right? They, they could really do a lot to, to help it when it comes to the point that there's enough supply for that to happen. Yeah. Um, so much of this is conversation as we've been talking about with, with consumers. Um, how, how have your regulars responded to oh this initiative, to these beers? They love it. It's, it's really cool. And that's, you know, part of the scale of what we're doing here is that Jay and I, I always say I have a very short attention span. <laughs> I like to do, you know, a range of things, but ultimately it's like, I like to see things come full circle. So sourcing the ingredients, Jay and I manage all of the production all the way through packaging. 
And then we are present during tap room. We get to serve our beers and hand it across the table. And to be able to see our team that tends taps with us who can represent Kernza and organics, like no one's business. It's so great. Have those conversations with customers when they start asking those questions. And then you can just kind of gauge like how much somebody is interested in learning more and and there are some who just dig in on a website, right? Or they'll go and sit under our shade haven or pavilion and come back in and say, I was just reading, you know, on Kernza.org and like, oh, yep, here you go. <laughs> <laughs> like, you're on it. And and understand the challenges and our I think our space just kind of allows people to maybe breathe a little bit differently. It's intentionally serene. Like our landscaping is all native prairie and rain gardens and so it allows you to be a little bit more quiet which yeah. is kind of, yeah so those conversations just kind of can happen naturally and the response is really really positive how important is it to or how much of the success that you all have had and the longevity now at 10 years that you've had um you know given that you're dedicated organic um, comes from you both being present in the tap room all the time to get that message across. Could 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 this succeed if you weren't there? Yeah, it could, and it and it does now. We Jay and I literally did all the things for the first two years. It was that long before we actually made a hire for somebody to help us in tap room, and. We are still present in tap room, but not every day. That would no longer be sustainable just based on the volume we're producing and the other things that we're tending to because we literally mm -hmm. manage all aspects of the business. So to have a, a tight team of tap tenders that are so incredible makes this possible. We have regulars that Jay and I meet now, which is incredible. Like there are moments like, how do I not know this person who is so familiar to our team? And that, that is rewarding beyond belief. Yeah. yeah. I dig that. Where do you see I mean, you're, you're, you're having these conversations. You're, you're out involved in these groups. Um, how, how do you see the, progression or um what do you see as the potential future for beer and breweries with you know, using more organic ingredients is that is it still going to stay niche is this still going to stay you know a relatively small part of the of the industry or um do you believe that it has potential to to, to grow beyond where it has been. I really do think it has potential to grow beyond that. The, the, the potential to affect change through the ingredients that we source and the farmers and the farming methods that we choose to support is so in reach. And it's not, you know, the idea of doing an organic brewers alliance and, and making just a more readily available network to take some of the burden of research off people, which, you know, really is 
more reward than it is burden because when it happens, it's just such a win. But the, the potential impact is so great and it's so in reach that it seems to me I don't, I don't see any reason why every brewery producing couldn't start incorporating it. And I think at some level, maybe it feels a bit overwhelming, but really to have that option is empowering. When you, when you realize that if there's something that you care about and if, and not to say that people don't, that didn't come out right at all, but if there's something, I understand what you, yeah. if there's something you want to see happen that you can be part of it. You can contribute. And what's the old saints be the change. Yeah. yeah, definitely. And the build, you know, seeing this network, like back to the artisan grain collaborative is just so rewarding. And to know the things that are on the horizon and things that are coming through, we have, I can't speak about it yet, but soon there's another experimental grain that we'll have an opportunity to work with coming up. Um, you know, and it's like listening to the, the star of the North, you know, Garrett Oliver talk about the work that he's doing with Fonio. Yeah. There are, there are things that you can do now to start the progression towards where we want this to go. And I really feel like, for this industry, we can do a lot. There's a lot that can be accomplished through food and beverage. And it's it's in our hands. Yeah. For the brewers that want to start taking these steps, what is, I'm not looking for a five-year plan here, but what is a reasonable first step that you think they can take to sort of, you know, what is it? The, the, the journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step. Like what's the, what's the first step in your mind for brewers that are listening to this saying like, okay, like I'm, I want to start walking this path. Yeah. I mean, any step, any action that moves us forward is an action worth taking. And it's, as simple as, you know, source an organic base malt and incorporate it in a, in a recipe that you've known and loved and, and make that one change. See, see what you think of it. Start looking at the specialties. You know, there's still, I'm 10 years in and still like, there's gotta be an organic midnight wheat out there someday. Right. Like that's the goal. Yeah. <laughs> As we build this, our in, the more farms and mid producers that we support in this space, the better and more plentiful our ingredient options will become. And you know, as a, a person that is geared towards the culinary side, that's exciting. That's a big motivator. Yeah. Um, the other motivator is, you know, environmentally what's happening around us. It's like, you can't look at the news on any given day without seeing something that's alarming. Right. 
with regard to climate and just knowing that the small steps, what m might feel like a small contribution, the collective effort is where it's at. Couldn't agree more. Um, I'm mindful of your time. So I wanted to ask you the green door question, which is, um, uh, the premises at the beginning of the pandemic, my wife and I uh, needed some some joy and happiness in our life. So we started rewatching The Good Place, the television show. And uh, in the fourth season, uh, the final season, they introduce a concept of a green door that uh, the characters can walk through and be uh, anywhere they want, doing whatever they wanted. And so if we had a green door on our plane of existence and this conversation could end and you could walk through it and be in any pub or any brewery anywhere in the world, where would you want to go? Who would you want to be with? And what would you like to be drinking? My stars. I have to boil that down to one. <laughs> so many things. Uh, oof, um, you know, honestly, since I've not yet had the opportunity to do it, I would love to have a fresh pour at Pilsner Urquell. That would be amazing. It'd be fun to obviously share that with Jay and with somebody else. If I were to, were to reach backwards, I would like to share it with my father. If it were someone from the now, uh, I think just because I have such a vast amount of respect for him, I would love to sit and have a chat with Garrett Oliver. He's always fun to talk with, for sure. Such an amazing force. Just incredible. Well, I hope you get to do that one of these days. <laughs> um, um, and I'm, I'm looking forward to being back in the Twin Cities so that I can uh, come and actually drink at your brewery. Um, but it's been, um, uh, you know, just learning about everything that, 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 that you all have been doing and, um, this growth of Kernza in, in, in the space, I think is, is really cool and really inspiring in a, in a way that is, um, outside of the normal ingredient stories that, um, so many of us are covering. So, um, thanks for, thanks for pushing that forward and, 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 and leading that charge. It's been, um, it's been fun as a drinker. Uh, over the last couple of weeks to be, to be learning more about this. It's been fun as a brewer, you know, to have the opportunity to work with an experimental grain that that's feels like a once in a lifetime, a really rare and special thing. Well, I hope you get more chances to do it, but um, Sandy, thanks for, for being on the show this week. I really appreciate it. Appreciate it. Thanks for your time. It's been a pleasure. Are you using organic ingredients in your beers or looking for them in the ones you're drinking? Tell me about it. My email is John Hall, that's J-O-H-N-H-O-L-L -L, at allaboutbeer.com or tell me on Twitter at John underscore Hall. That's also how you can get in touch with questions, comments, and guest suggestions. A reminder, go visit allaboutbeer.com. There you can check out the podcast page, the merch page, and can read great new content as well as the archives going back to 1979. Follow along on social media at all about beer. And if you're interested in supporting journalism in the beer space, email us at info at allaboutbeer.com or go to patreon.com slash allaboutbeer.
As promised, Caleb Schweike of Yakima Valley Hops is back with me. The company is a sponsor of this episode. We're thankful for that. And we're talking about liquid hop products. Earlier, we were talking about what they can do, what they are. And now I hope, Caleb, you can dial in a little bit to what Flex, Incognito, and Spectrum do on their own for the beer and as well as their best practices. Absolutely. So Flex, it's a flowable bittering addition. It's really easy to measure, dose, and use. You don't need to switch anything up in your brewing process to use Flex. It's kind of like the old school CO2 extract, but uh, more flowable, easier to use. So it's just really nice. And, you know, you can target really specific IBUs and you get a nice, clean, consistent bittering with Flex. So that's that's really the, you know, the, the key highlights of Flex. Uh, Incognito and Spectrum, those take a little bit more maybe finesse or like artistic, uh, you know, inspiration to use because there's kind of a wide range on dosing and replacement rates. So Incognito, in general, you're kind of looking at like a one to six replacement weight. Uh, replacement huh. rate by weight. So you're using essentially, you know, six times less stuff in your beer. So you are looking at efficiency gains. You're not soaking up any of your wort with plant matter. So that's really nice, just minimizing that plant matter. So one to six for incognito, that's a good starting point. Spectrum, it's kind of a wider range. You can go anywhere from one to eight replacement rate all the way down to like a one to five replacement rate. So, you know, it takes, uh, it, it takes a little finesse, uh, especially if you're incorporating them into an established recipe or like a flagship beer. If you're trying to match flavors, then, you know, kind of start on the low end of the replacement rate and gradually work up and maybe try and achieve like a 50% uh, replacement rate. So still use about 50% of your hot pellets, your T90s, but then try and incorporate about 50% of the liquid hot products to really achieve some of those key gains. And I like that there's the skill that's necessary and that there's the thought that's necessary involved in this. It's not just, okay, we're going to set it and forget it. There, there really needs to be intention when using these products in your beers. Absolutely. And like all rules, you know, some of them are meant to be broken and craft brewers like breaking rules. So, you know, we say <laughs> we say incognito in the whirlpool, but we're also talking with brewers that are like, ah, no, uh, I throw it in my dry hop. And we're like, OK, that's cool. Like if it works for you, that's great. Um, so it is, you know, all about experimentation and kind of uh, really finding that sweet spot for, you know, aroma, flavor and efficiency. That's awesome. Well, thanks, Caleb. Uh, I'm going to encourage everybody to please go visit yakimavalleyhops.com. You can learn more about these products as well as everything else that the company has to offer. And again, my thanks as always to Yakima Valley Hops for supporting All About Beer. Don't forget, All About Beer has a podcast channel now. Search and subscribe on your podcast platform of choice. Steal This Beer has new episodes every Monday, and the BYO Nano podcast comes out on the 15th of every month. As for this show, Nate Schweber does the music, Jeff Quinn designed our logo, and I'm John Hall. New episodes release every Wednesday, and that's when I'm going to be back again to drink beer and to think beer. <laughs>